the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report number 74, October 1971. When words inappropriate for political application become political slogans, they create impossible problems. One such word is equality. That word has had many meanings. Several Greek words are translated as equal in the New Testament. One of these in Galatians 1.14 means, quote, one of the same age, unquote, and others also having meanings very different from modern usage. The word esos, however, which appears in Matthew 20.12, John 5.18, Philippians 2.6, and Revelation 21.16, and isotes, equality, in 2 Corinthians 8.14 and Colossians 4.1, means the same in size, number, quality, and so on. It is, in essence, a mathematical term, and this is its meaning in Matthew 20.12 and Revelation 21.16, as well as 2 Corinthians 8.14 and Colossians 4.1. The other usages indicate the identity of the persons of the Godhead. But it was in the modern era that equality, a mathematical concept, became a political slogan. With the Enlightenment, mathematics became very influential as a standard for man's thinking. Some philosophers felt that thinking, like geometry, should proceed from axioms and theorems to inescapable conclusions. In mathematics, the equal sign shows a balance on both sides of a problem, and the problem is solved if it is proven that they balance. The idea of equality thus came to be an attractive idea for politics solve the political problem by introducing the solving balance of equality. The idea of equality once introduced into politics created a false dilemma and offered false alternatives. Men who opposed the idea of equality began to argue that inequality was the truth of the matter. But the idea of equality applies best to a mathematical problem. It is an abstraction. 2 plus 2 equals 4. True. But do two Englishmen plus two Frenchmen equal four Japanese? Immediately the problem becomes absurd. Who are these eight men? Some may be criminals, others great men. In any case, how can they be equated? How can the diversity of talents, character, and usefulness be reduced to an abstraction? Can two trees plus two clouds equal four birds? If we are dealing with lumber, steel, and other standardized and manufactured items, the equal sign is a very important and necessary tool 
of science and business. Applied to people, it is meaningless. To talk about either equality or inequality is to reduce the human situation to a level of abstraction. Even more, it introduces a false perspective which can only damage society. Men will try to promote their ideas of equality and inequality with passionate intensity, and political discourse and action will be geared to myths. What is the answer? Is Willie Mays equal to Richard Nixon? Is a plumber equal to a councilman? The question must be ruled out as meaningless. It obscures the basic fact, first, that God's law declares that rulers and judges must be no respecters of persons. Their judgment must be in terms of the law, not in terms of the wealth, poverty, or color of a man. Deuteronomy 1.17, Leviticus 19.15, etc. In this respect, justice is blind to the status, but clear-eyed with respect to the law. These human factors may or may not be important. They are, however, irrelevant to the law. Second, men are ultimately judged in terms of their relationship to God and His law word, not in terms of their relationship to man's standards. Faith and character are thus central to a man and his society in any godly order. There is then a natural aristocracy of talent and character. In a statist order, however, neither an organized majority or minority nor any kind of independent aristocracy are tolerable. In a statist order, lore must be concentrated in the state in clear-cut fashion. The facade may be, quote, power to the people, unquote, but the reality is power to the state. Since the Crusades, the state has worked to eliminate all other contenders in its quest for power. It has worked to level and cut down any group within the state that might be a rival to its ambitions or which possess independent powers. Three early enemies were thus the feudal lords, the Jews, and the church. Feudalism meant localism and decentralization, and to create the centralized power of the state, feudal power was steadily undercut. The Jews, as the builders of urban pre-Crusade Europe, represented too great a power, and thus the state worked to destroy the Jews. The church, too, represented a threat to the state because of its refusal to accept a subordinate and controlled status, and it, too, had to be undercut and brought under control. The rise of nationalism, a byproduct, furthered the unity of the state, and therefore minority groups and their ghettos which were self-governing in independent areas, had to go. Cities were planned with straight streets so that cavalry charges could sweep them free of revolutionists, and guns mounted at intersection could cut down people from all sides. The state was religiously concerned with protecting and increasing its power. Equality came to be a valuable tool on the part of the state in eliminating diversity within the state and in undercutting areas of separatism. Thus, in the U.S., in the name of equality, the New Deal began to break up the Old South and its regional loyalties. A Negro voting bloc was created which, after World War I, began to grow in power. A status order, however, 
can no more tolerate a Negro block than a white Southern block, and as a result, integration became not an idealist, but a political step to break up block solidarity. The effects of integration have too often been studied only by proponents and opponents of integration. Unfortunately, both believe that enforced integration is possible. From the days of the Assyrians who moved nations and peoples about to homogenize their empire, to the 20th century, such attempts have been failures. People do not intermarry unless a common faith, culture, and standard brings them together. Then they cannot be kept apart. The Basques have not been independent for 14 centuries, but they refuse to surrender their separateness and their desires for independence. The Soviet Empire has regularly liquidated both people and party members for favoring their local national groups, but without success. The Ukrainians, Georgians, Armenians, and others still retain their separateness and their dreams of freedom. In the U.S., a Negro leader who favors racial intermarriage stated that integration laws decreased the number of such unions and drove blacks and whites apart. Integration has not integrated. What has it done? It has introduced class divisions into the black bloc. By requiring a percentage employment of blacks, the civil rights laws have given a large number of blacks a middle-class status and middle-class aspirations. From a number of sources, the reports have come the results. A large percentage of these middle-class blacks refuse to identify themselves with specifically black causes. They still go to black churches, visit with black friends, and create social organizations of their own but these are essentially black class organizations. The reaction of many black political leaders has been resentment. The Black Panthers, Muslims, and others have reacted by calling for a black nation, black separation, and so on. They have rightly seen the status course of action as more politics than benevolent. Blacks scattered throughout a white culture are finished as a political force. If black, so-called ghettos, are broken up, then black revolutionary action is less likely also. But these black revolutionists are themselves being destroyed by the state. Either by direct subsidies or through foundations, they are made dependent on the state, so that every black leader eyes all others with suspicion as a paid hireling. The black revolutionary leaders thus have a short-term popularity before they lose their following. The black revolution is a hopeless, bought-out failure, but it is still a very important and weather-vane movement. The status dream of instant paradise for all true believers, when the right set of laws is passed, has been broken. The bitter black disillusionment with the promises of the state has shattered the myth of a new Garden of Eden by status measures. This disillusionment with politics is growing one. As a state senator, a Christian remarked to me of his fellow legislators, quote, Very few of these men believe any more in what they are doing. Unquote. Their belief that politics is the way to the good society is dying or dead. For more and more of the people on both sides of the Iron Curtain, all over the world, the state is the enemy. It is the God that failed, and men are increasingly ready to smash their false gods.
The advanced stage of the statist dream has been of a scientific state. When Marx spoke of scientific socialism, the word, quote, scientific, unquote, still had magic to it. But now, like the word, quote, equality, unquote, and even more so the word, quote, scientific, unquote, has come to represent a myth and not reality. The ideal of a scientific state is of a planned social order conducted like a scientific experiment. In an experiment, all factors are controlled. There is no place for freedom. Thus, Dr. Marvin Carlins and Dr. Lewis Andrews, authors of Requiem for Democracy, an inquiry in the limits of behavior control, believe in controlling man scientifically because, quote, the real problem is the threat of freedom, unquote. Dr. B.F. Skinner of Harvard and Beyond Freedom and Dignity also believes that freedom must be replaced by controls over man. When the behaviorist J.B. Watson talked along similar lines a generation or so ago, only reactionaries on the whole were distressed. Most people saw in Watson the promises of a glorious future through science. The reaction now is hostility on all fronts. The scientific educational status establishment is viewed with radical suspicion and fear. Much is said nowadays about the, quote, the credibility gap, unquote. Pronouncements by the U.S. federal government are viewed with distrust as politically motivated lies. There are good reasons for this suspicion. However, the political lies of Wilson's era by all the nations far exceeded those of today. When they were exposed, there was a period of shock and then a quick return of confidence. At that time, men were more ready to trust the state and thus to believe that some officials were guilty that their, quote, government, unquote, was still benevolent and sound. That belief is largely gone now, and thus, quote, the credibility gap, unquote, has grown and exists even when the truth is told. As a businessman said of a prominent politician, quote, I'm suspicious even when he tells the truth. I start figuring, what's his angle? Unquote. The state is no longer seen as the potential Garden of Eden. It is the world after the fall. For many bitter, revolutionary youth, the state has in fact become the serpent. This radical distrust of the state is the most ominous fact of our time. It spells the end of the age of the state. To avoid status answers, men, as before, prior to the fall of Rome and the collapse of the Middle Ages, resort to all kinds of wild alternatives, astrology, witchcraft, healing cults, magic, anything that offers a rival power to the omnipresent state. In reaction against science, many youths today adopt primitive dress patterns, advocate a return to primitive forming, and generally yearn for a pre-scientific, pre-statist order. Such movements are futile and pathetic. Their value is simply as weather vanes of popular sentiment and disillusionment. Neither negation nor protest have ever built a social order. The weathermen, Black Panthers, and others are simply dangerous backlashes of the past. They represent anger and rage, not a new order.
People who give dramatic interviews do not make revolutions. They are self-conscious actors. They want a stage more than a battle. The future always begins yesterday and today. It is an act of faith, and it is an act of recapitalization of spiritual and material capital. The state everywhere has become the destroyer of spiritual and material capital, not its protector. The church has largely joined the humanist and statist and is bankrupt. The state school, as the tool of the state, is facing the collapse which is threatening the state. Only in a biblical faith and a reconstruction of church, school, and state, family, economics, and all of life in terms of God's law order is there any hope. This reconstruction is underway. Homesick for Sodom, Lot's wife turned back, choosing life in a perishing city to freedom and a new beginning. Those who like Lot's wife have a backward look or doomed. The future lies ahead, and it is in the hands of our sovereign God, not the enemy. The state is not God, not is it the Lord of life. To be alive is a marvelous thing, and to have the privilege of reconstructing a world by means of our own recapitalization is a pleasurable duty. To allow the state to sour our lives is to do violence to ourselves and to make ourselves into children of the state. Our problems are small compared to those of others in the communist world and in past eras. If life is a burden for you, perhaps you are the real burden, a drag on time and progress. This is indeed a difficult era, but it is a time of great change and opportunity, and under God, a glorious time to be alive. Chalcedon Report number 75, November 1971. The age of the state is not only creating serious problems for man and society by its belief in the applicability of the idea of equality to man, but also because of its trust in the fallacy of simplicity. Men yearn for simplicity, and especially when their problems are complex and overwhelming. They hunger most for a quick and simple answer. The yearning for simplicity is especially prominent among youth in every generation, and rarely more so than now. Youth, as it wakes up to the immensity of the world's problems, wants a quick answer, a simple solution, in order to cope with an overwhelming problem. The less equipped we are to cope with a problem, the more prone we are to want a simple answer, one we can understand and one we can apply. The deliberate primitivism of modern youth is an aspect of this yearning for simplicity. Faced with problems of war and peace, economics and politics, and theological and philosophical questions, the answer of many youth is simplicity and primitivism. Bare feet, love as a panacea, old ragged clothes, and an abandonment of careful dress and grooming, and a denouncement of technology. But such demands for simple answers are usually flights from real answers, not solutions. William Carroll Bark in Origins of the Medieval World, Garden City, New York, Doubleday Anchor Books, 1960, 
has called attention to a central aspect of the failure of Rome. As Rome grew into an empire, her problems became more complex, but the Roman mind began to resist complexity. As Bark points out, quote, they confused simplicity with strength, as if one could not exist without the other, unquote. page 144. The same fallacy of simplicity governs the state and its logical conclusion in some form of socialism. As society grows more complex, it grows complex because specialization and decentralization increase. The more specialization and decentralization increase, the greater is the complexity and the advance in a society. Moreover, freedom increases with specialization. When a man no longer has to build his own house, grow his own food, and protect his own family, his ability to be free and productive increases. Similarly, if a woman has to weave her family's cloth and make their garments, make soap, kindle fires, and hand wash clothes, her freedom is lessened and her life is more complex. Thus a person's life becomes progressively more free and simple as complexity, specialization, and decentralization increase in productive society. These things which are the marks of progress and advance are seen as dangerous social facts to the status mind, whose constant urge is to simplify. Thus B.F. Skinner, whose behavioristic thinking is the psychological companion of statism, sees our freedom as a threat to man's welfare. In Beyond Freedom and Dignity, New York, Knopf, 1971, he argues for the end of traditional concepts of human freedom and dignity, as well as of moral values in any Christian sense. His case was better stated some years ago by John Broadus Watson, 1878-1958. On Watson, C.R.J. Rushduni, Messianic Character of American Education, pages 162-169. to Skinner's position is pure environmentalism. In the old view, he points out people were blamed for their failures. Liberals then blamed bad parents, teachers, and communities. Quote, The mistake is to put the responsibility anywhere to suppose that somewhere a casual sequence is initiated. Unquote. Page 76. The answer is conditioning the control of all men to create a society beyond freedom and dignity for mankind's best welfare. Skinner's answer is not too different from that of the rebellious youth of our time. Both are guilty of the fallacy of simplicity. The young rebels want simplicity by return to primitivism, whereas Skinner wants simplicity by means of the scientific status control of men. The fallacy of simplicity is a humanistic, rationalistic fallacy. It rests ultimately in the belief that some few men have the answers whereby all men can be saved, all society ordered, and man's future assured. The fallacy of simplicity is an easy one for the status mind to accept, because it usually concentrates power into a few hands. If all problems are to be answered by eliminating freedom, decentralization and independent specialization, then an elite will have awesome and godlike powers. 
If Time Magazine's article on Skinner in its September 20, 1971 issue, pages 47 through 53, is to be believed, then Skinner, too, is marked by a, quote, desire to dominate, unquote. Consider the vast powers concentrated into statist hands by the departures from the gold standard. By creating a paper money basis for economics and by making money a creation of the state rather than a commonly accepted standard of value, the state has given itself virtually total powers over the wealth of all its citizens. It can confiscate the wealth of the people at will. As Leonard Reed has observed in his essay, quote, Little Lessons Along the Road, unquote, quote, Inflation is a device for siphoning private property into the coffers of government. Successful hedging would require finding a form of property that cannot be siphoned off or confiscated. It does not exist, unquote. The state, however, can offer simple answers like economic controls, paper money, centralized planning, and so on, only when people themselves are guilty of the fallacy of simplicity. What breeds that fallacy? Examining the matter closely, it will become apparent to us that if power were concentrated in the wisest hands of the world, they would still make mistakes and their errors would have deadly consequences for all of us. Thus, no group of men is wise enough to rule for all of us. The best we can hope for is that men will rule themselves wisely by God's grace and word. For any group of men to seek power over all other men is to play God. This clearly is the key to the matter, and it is man's original sin to try to be as God determining for himself what constitutes good and evil. Genesis 3.5 Only God can give simple answers, because only God is totally omniscient and omnipotent. Only God can simplify because, by virtue of his omniscience and omnipotence, he is, to use humanistic terms, the only universal specialist with a full grasp of the total complexity of things. Moreover, because all things originate in His sovereign purpose and will, His purpose and word provide the only possible ground for a simple answer, since He is the only Lord and Maker of all things. Thus, when men claim to have a simple, centralized answer, they are claiming to be God, and they are demanding the allegiance that only God can rightfully claim. Every effort, therefore, to give a status simplified, centralized answer is not only a move which works to level and destroy civilization, but also a move against God. The fallacy of simplicity is thus an aspect of original sin, man's attempt to be God and to order all things by his will. Man's fiat will then requires fiat law, fiat money, and fiat morality. The word fiat is the Latin for, quote, let it be done, unquote. Just as God said, quote, let there be light, and there was light, unquote. Genesis 1-3. So man's fiat is an attempt to create something out of nothing. The dictionary defines, quote, fiat money, unquote, as, quote, irredeemable paper money made legal tender by law, unquote. Because man is not God, 
His fiat money always erodes and finally becomes worthless because man is not God. His fiat law also fails to provide order and becomes instead the cause of disorder. Likewise, man's fiat morality leads to the collapse of society and to moral anarchy. God's commands, His fiat declarations as stated in Genesis 1, brought all creation into being by means of simple commands. Genesis tells us, quote, God said, and it was so, unquote. Here is true simplicity, because here is true deity. The compromising theologians who want to extend Genesis 1 and creation over millions and millions of years and to convert a simple act to an involved and complex process are thereby denying God's sovereignty. Not surprisingly, these theologians are usually strong advocates of simplicity. On the human scene, they believe in fiat money and in a fiat state, which by simplifying and centralizing will solve man's social problems. Their God has obviously migrated from the heavens to their national capital. The fallacy of simplicity is thus at heart a theological issue. The remedy for man's attempts to play God is for man to see himself as a creature, a sinning creature, who must submit to and live under God in his law. The fiat will of the state and the fiat will of anarchistic individuals can only destroy social order, undercut civilization, and hamper technology. It is a very popular these days to regard technology as an enemy. Men who are guilty of the fallacy of simplicity want to downgrade technology because it so clearly requires specialization. Karl Marx in the German ideology and Engels in anti-During declared that when communism is fully realized, all experts and specialists would be unnecessary. Clark quite aptly asked, quote, I wonder who will perform brain surgery, unquote. Gordon H. Clark, Historiography, Secular and Religious, page 86, Nutley, New Jersey, The Craig Press, 1971. Let us see how this fiat mind works. Some years ago, as a student at a major city, I saw this fiat mind, the mind of the humanist at work. Hegel long ago stated the case for such men with his assertion that, quote, the rational is the real, unquote. The mind creates and then incarnates true reality. Thus, one professor once put on the blackboard the X number of acres in America capable of form use, the X number of bushels of wheat, corn, and so on that could be produced, and then the X number of people in the U.S. and in all the world who could be fed if someone, presumably with his intelligence, organized and centralized all this and gave the right orders. At that time, in the 1930s, a similar plan in the Soviet Union had destroyed production and led to famine. He refused to believe that this was anything but propaganda. If proven to him, he would no doubt have said that the peasants were resisting progress when they resisted collectivization. In any case, he was guilty of the fallacy of simplicity. 
He actually believed that all problems are solved in life as easily as theoretically and with no contradictions permitted they are, quote, solved, unquote, on the blackboard. Such, quote, blackboard solutions, unquote, are increasingly the rule today as international economic conferences of the major nations, quote, settle, unquote, monetary problems. As senates, parliaments, and other legislative bodies ponder problems of politics, economics, education, and agriculture, they look for, quote, blackboard solutions, unquote, and, quote, blackboard experts, unquote. Then if things go wrong, it is the people's fault for failing to become robots to the central plan. The problem, of course, is that all men are inescapably creatures of God. They can deny God, but they cannot escape Him. At every point in life, and in every fiber of his being, man is inescapably and totally tied to God's law, order, and sovereign power. Those who are guilty of the fallacy of simplicity believe that man's fiat will can somehow change all this and make the masses of mankind move totally in terms of man's fiat will. This is Skinner's thesis no less than Marx's. It is the thesis of London, Washington, D.C., Paris, Rome, Peking, and Moscow in varying degrees. It is the faith of man when he separates himself from God and tries to play God. Thus, the closer the age of the state comes to realizing its dream of centralization and simplification, the greater the potential for misery and disaster increases and the closer the age of the state draws to suicide. Our Lord declared that, quote, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, unquote. Matthew 4.4 4. The humanistic state sees man as a politico-economic animal and declares that man shall not live by the word of God, but rather by the fiat word of the state and the fiat bread of the state. However, the closer the state comes to realizing its dream and the nearer it comes to having the power to issue a simple fiat word, the more it faces economic collapse. Its fiat money buys less and less and often nothing, and there is also finally no bread to eat, and the state is dead. Our Lord said, quote, All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword, unquote. Matthew 26:52 In example all who make the sword force their answer and their mainstay rather than making it subordinate shall perish by the same meaningless exercise of force Likewise all who make the state which in its subordinate place is necessary their mainstay and its fiat will their law and hope shall perish with the state it is time, therefore, to rebuild apart from the state to establish independent Christian schools and institutions under God and His fiat word and dedicated to His glory. It means establishing marriages and homes grounded not on romantic love, but a common obedience to God. It means establishing new businesses relying not on a federal subsidy, but providing goods and services for free men. 
It means exploring the world of things and ideas to develop our knowledge and technology under God. We cannot be guilty of the clean slate idea of the enlightenment, of waiting for a clean slate before we begin. We begin now because our duty is a constant one and the opportunity a very present one. It is a time for building because the old structures are coming down. This, like every year, is the year of our Lord, and man's fiat word shall be shattered by the word of his power. It is therefore a glorious time to be alive, a time to work, and a time to rejoice. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushby. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had shown. Tell the world now.
the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.